We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So let's move on to the offensive line, Ryan. Very, uh, very. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's interesting what a year can do, and it and it just goes to show that uh, technique does matter, coaching does matter in a big way. And I'm not saying that flippantly or disrespectfully, sure. But we saw that this year the offensive line were basically the same guys that played last year. Some were a year older, but you saw guys that struggled the year before, were young the year before, really come out and. It was a line that, in my opinion, was still inconsistent. Part of that was just the unit really, con- you know, sometimes they didn't play well every single week. I thought the, the I thought at times it was a lot of it was just because of the nature of the offense and just the way that it was called or designed. You didn't have much of a passing threat, all those type of things. Wasn't super, super consistent, but man, it was really good for a big chunk of the year. And it was a really big step forward and just kind of big picture, Ryan. You feel like, okay that ship has been righted. It's going to keep getting better. The ship has been righted. The position that's supposed to be your strength that wasn't really for three of the previous four years is back on track. And and I, I, I feel for me, I'm going to speak for everybody else, for me, that's a big reason why I have a lot more optimism about the offense heading into 2022. Is you look at the the the, the front seven of the defense, I have a lot of questions about the coaching. Right when it's not talent, it's the coaching. Whether it's linebacker coaching, D line coaching. When I look at Notre Dame and I look in up the middle, and it's the running backs and the offensive line, the talent is also very good. I would argue slightly better than the. I mean, it's better than the, the, the defensive side as well, but it's more faith in the coaching. And I think that optimism, that excitement, uh, that confidence is why I have a lot more faith that this offense is going to be a lot better next year. Because that part of the ball is going to, you feel like is gonna shine. Like it was good. It was really good this year. Should have been a Joe Moore Joe Moore Award semifinalist, which is like the top ten. Should have been in that group. No question about it. Next year, you expect it to be one of the top three or four, if not the best line in the country, because there's tons of talent coming back, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at the baseline, and this is how we kick off all these shows, Ryan. I'm confident this line is going to continue to get better because I feel like they're back in a position where you have someone that knows how to develop these kids, push these kids, kick them in the pants when they need to, 
and get the most out of them. And then when you combine that with the talent, Ryan, you say, okay, this is going to be a lot of fun, a lot of fun over the next little bit. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's funny that we're doing the offensive line right after a cornerback conversation yesterday because I feel like a lot of the same things that give us so much optimism about the cornerback group is the same in the offensive line. And I think that we started this podcast obviously the same as yesterday. It's that you look, I mean, we don't have to keep, we don't have to keep reciting the resume of Harry Heastand to be like, hey guys, you know, you're, you're in a pretty good opportunity, you're in a good, pretty good spot here, right? I mean, I mean, I'm going to because that's what we're going to do, right? But, you, you know, the guys, the, the Zach Martins of the world, the Ronnie Stanleys, the Quentin Nelsons, the Mike McGlinchies, like those names resonate with Notre Dame fans for good reason because the, the best of what the offensive line has been for Notre Dame over the last X amount of years has been in large due to what Harry Heaston has done from an evaluation, identification perspective, bringing players to fit what he wants to do, come in and develop them into not good offensive linemen. Most of the time, into great offensive linemen, into NFL-caliber offensive linemen, into Pro Bowl-level offensive linemen in a lot of instances, right? So you look at the development that is happening in that room, it all starts with Harry Heastan, right? And that's why you feel so optimistic because if Harry Heastan isn't the best offensive line coach in the country, he's what, top two or three? I mean, like, I don't even think it's a, much of a conversation piece. With the track record he has – with the resume that he has on top of the fact that, Hey, Chris Watts in the room too. And he's pretty dang good too, right? Like he's, he's done a pretty nice job with the role that he's had with Notre Dame. And you know, even a couple other places at this point, right. When he was with Tulane. So I think that you're looking at a guy like Harry, he's stand up top with his main man next to him and Chris Watt that has been through his tutelage has learned directly from him, has been coached by him understands what Harry wants. I think that that is almost a dynamic duo in a sense, but it all starts with Harry, of course, because he has re- developed a reputation as arguably the best in the business. 
I mean, we, we can get into Z1, 2, or 3, and, and different people will have different opinions on that. Different offensive line analysts will have different opinions on that. There's a lot of good offensive line coaches in the business, and there's a few that, to me, are at the very, very top. And there's no question that Harry He stands at the very top of that conversation. If there's like a, you know, we're doing top five within, within you know, without order, he's in there, you know. And there's going to be a lot of people that will say he's the best. It really doesn't matter. It's about do you have an elite guy doing it, and they do. And I think last year answered a question, Ryan. There was two two big questions about last year. Number one, and, and I'm talking about the coaching aspect of it. Number one is look, players have changed a little bit in a very short period of time. We as a society, as a media, as just a way that it's portrayed, we're babying kids a lot more as football sure. players than we were even five, six years ago, right? Kids are so, I mean, softer. You, you got to be nice to them. And, and look, I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people who says, like, look, I, I would look back at my coaching career and some of the ways that I went off and how I used fear as a way to coach. And, and I have regrets about it, right? Just, But at the same time, it's like because there's a lot of things about it just for me personally. But there's this notion of, well, that, will that way of coaching work nowadays? I think there's a very valid question, Mark, about whether or not that transition would work. Would Harry Heastan still be able to be Harry Heastan and it be received by these players? And it was from by all accounts, it was, and it was perceived by the kids you were most concerned about Would Jarrett Patterson buy in as the veteran and would Blake, Blake Fisher and Joe Walt buy in as the young studs. And it was received by all. And so I think that's a big, a big thing for me uh, was that that was a big question mark. Would his way work with younger people nowadays? And it did. And it just goes to show that, you know, Maybe kids aren't as soft as we make them out to be, or we allow them to be, right? And there's a lot of kids out there that want that tough love, that want that coaching, as long as they feel you're invested in them as people. And that's never been a question mark with Harry Heastan. The second part of it, too, was guy hasn't coached in four or five, you know, three, four years. Would he be rusty? Would he be able to? And I think for a little bit, maybe there was. That's why the old, maybe that's why the O line didn't start off quite as well, but they got rolling pretty quickly. So I think any questions about, is he still kind of in it? Does he still have the fire in his belly? Will the young kids relate to him? I think all those things were answered and positively. So now you feel like, okay, now it's just about him getting more and more out of these young people. And that's what gets me fired up about it, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I think that it's said very well, because I do think that there's that assumption about how hard you can coach a player now. But I think that you hit on it perfectly Harry Heeson isn't tough just to be tough and to exert his will on right. people, right? He's right. there to show that he cares and he wants the best out of them. Right. I mean, you told a story about Steve Elmer, right? Where it was like, I didn't like Harry when I played right. as much because I didn't that came, understand. That came from uh, Malik and them. Malik Zaire yeah. and, and Sean Davis talked about that on the Lucky Lefty podcast. Well, I do know Liam Eikenberg was that way. He, he didn't necessarily care for Coach Easton very early in his career either. And then by the time he was a fifth year senior, he's he's working out over the summer with Coach Eastan trying to get better, right? And yeah, and and I think that's kind of, but that's but that's not. I mean, there's been a lot of kids like that, like because it it's different, right? It's different, and and part of the thing he the reason he does it is is like, look, I'm trying to create toughness here. This is yep. a unique position. This isn't quarterback. This isn't receivers. This isn't corners. This is a unique position that requires a level of physical and mental toughness. If you think about what offensive linemen do. Like if you did if if you did the stuff that offensive linemen do, like out in the street, out in public, you'd go to jail. I mean, you, you can't do those things, right? And they're asked to do that every single snap. 
And and it's also about I'm trying to make you tougher. I'm trying to make you stronger. I'm trying to I'm trying to it challenge you to where the Saturday, that's the easy part. Saturday's easy because I have gotten on you and ridden you and demanded perfection in a way that Saturday's the easy part. And if you ever notice, do you ever Harry Heastan doesn't really go off a lot on Saturdays? You kind of see him there like if you make a big mistake, he'll get on you. But it, it's the Monday to Friday where that where that happens. But the, well, would the kids take it or not? You know, it seems like they have. And he went out and recruited a pretty darn good recruiting class as well. So, you know, Ryan, I think that's a that those are all questions that needed to be answered. And and, and you hope you hope like I have this is me in my head. I don't know if there's I don't have sources that tell me this is accurate or not. But just kind of in my head, I just have this this line of succession thing in my head where. You know, Coach Eastan's going to be here until he's ready to retire, and then he retires. It's like, okay, Chris Watt, now it's your turn to do this whole thing, right? You know, and I think because to your point, when you're a guy like Harry Eastan, you've got 18 kids on scholarship at offensive line. You're not going to be able to coach all 18 of those kids if you don't have a GA or somebody that you trust to work with them, and that's what you have in Chris Watt is someone who played under Harry Eastan. So just because you've embraced the, the the hardness doesn't mean you always like it. Sure. Or 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 want to hear it, but then you have a guy that's been there and has been on the receiving end of some of those. And if you've ever seen Chris Watt, he's a pretty mild mannered guy, and I think it's a nice contrast to what Harry Heastan brings. And I think they're a really good one-two punch, and I think that adds value to what they're going to be. So then it says, okay, well now the bar's been raised, Ryan, right? And that's the thing about the offensive line hanging in 2023 is the bar's been raised now. Okay, sure. you, you've you've got that other stuff in the rear view. Bar's been raised. Now it's time to go out and say, okay, we're going to take this thing to another level, and that's the expectation, right? The expectation is okay. You got them back on track. Now it's time to take it to the next level, and that's now the the question mark for 2023 is okay. He got them back on track to a level where they're you know one of the ten best offensive lines in the country in my view. Okay, now can you take it to that next level? And that's what we're going to find out moving forward. And then can you continue to recruit the way where you're adding, you know, good players and things like that? So far, so good. But that's still a little bit of a question mark because I, I do feel like, you know, just one year isn't going to answer that. And in a year where it was a very good offensive line, one through five, but they did have some misses at the top, right? I mean, yes. they did miss some of the top guys on the board. Will they be able to, you know, hit the top guys on the board again this year? Or are they going to have to then expand the board and, and find the the Joe Waddings and the Christopher Tarricks and maybe those next level guys uh, in the 2024 class? So I think that's another question mark. And you know, as we look into the, the sort of the coaching, the future is he's got a Peter Jones. Can he land the Gearby Lambert? Can he land a, a, a Caleb Brewer? Can he get those top of the level? I'm going to talk about what the national rankings are. I'm talking about who Notre Dame's top of the board guys were. Yeah. Right. So I'm not talking about Samson, Oakland, Lola. I'm talking about, you know, you didn't get Monroe Freely. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you missed on that one. There were some guys that you had on your board that you liked. Elijah Page ends up going somewhere else. Right. There's those kind of guys that that you like that you ended up not getting. Now, you still got a lot of guys you love. But is there another level that he's going to get to? That's what we're going to find out. And, you know, I think that's also part of just how good this line can be. And again, when I talk about this, Ryan, we're not talking about recruiting rankings. We're talking about guys that the Notre Dame staff that Harry Heastan views as his top targets. Because I can point to a long list of players that Harry Heastan coached that were elite players that were not elite prospects. I mean, 
I mean, do we need to get into where Mike McGlinchey was ranked again? Do we need to get into where Ronnie Stanley was ranked? Now, in fairness, Ronnie Stanley was was being recruited before Harry Heastan was hired. But the point is, is that he coached him to that degree, right? Sure. And do we need to talk about, you know, where Zach Martin was as a player? Again, not recruited by Harry Heastan, but coached in his last couple of years by Harry Heastan. And, and on and on and on. Now, there were highly ranked guys. Robert Hainsey was highly ranked. Tommy Kramer was highly ranked. Lee Meikenberg was highly ranked. The point is, some of those guys may be highly ranked by the services. Some won't. It doesn't matter. This is about what Harry Heastan thinks about these guys. And that's going to be the key, is if he can land those guys. And we'll find out. We'll find out. Yeah. I think the 2024 class, if he can, because the board is so small, if he can strike it big with his top targets in 2024, then we'll let's say, okay, he's figured it out. Because right. you're going to start seeing the NFL draft success happen real quick, and then it's going to be easy for Harry. It's like, I want that guy, I want that guy, I want that which is basically what he was doing his last couple of years in Notre Dame, if we're being honest about it. Yep. I mean, it's it's a great note, and I would say that the 2023 class that, that Notre Dame just signed from the offensive line perspective – I think it's exactly the type of kid that Harry wants, right? And you mentioned this already with how the offensive line kind of assimilated to Harry's personality and got maybe a little more physically tough, a little more demanding of the regimen and all that great stuff. Something that we hadn't seen. I mean, Notre Dame was a more, they were a little bit more of a finesse offensive line before Harry Heaston got there. And they turned quickly into much more of a physical brand in 2022. But I think for the 2023 recruiting class, I mean, from Charles Jagasaw to Sullivan Absher to Sam Pendleton to Joe Odding to all the way down to Christopher Tarek in no order, they're all physical dudes, right? Like there's no question. Like those, I mean, you could have a really nice highlight tape of just pancakes all day with those types of guys. They all play a mean brand of football. So I like that element of it. And I will also say this, Brian, is that for Harry with how he develops, I'm also okay with him taking a Joe Odding. Right, because you think long term, you can hit it. Right, because you you trust him more. If there are some coaches that if all they're getting are projects or guys that are maybe year three players comparative to year one or year two players, then you start getting a little nervous because you don't know if they're going to be developed properly. Like we're seeing what the defensive line group was in twenty twenty three, for instance. Right, like can they, can Bubakar Traore, Brandon Vernon, can those guys hit that ceiling? I think that's a question that we need to work through. For Harry, he's saying I have less of a question on that. But you're absolutely correct in the sense that you got Charles Jagasaw, but you were in a good spot with Charles when Harry got on board, right? Like that was a guy that you should have gotten. Getting Gerby Lamberts, getting Caleb Brewer, getting those types of athletes on the offensive line in 2024 is going to be a big indication because if you get that talent level with a guy like Harry after a couple years with him, you feel really good about the fortunes of Notre Dame football, not even counting the simple fact that, yes, you're about to – start that pipeline in the NFL again very shortly, right? Because Joe Walt's going to be a high draft pick next year. Blake Fisher's probably going to be a high draft pick next year or the year after, whenever he comes out. And then the pipeline will begin for the Charles Jagasaws of the of the future, Emil Wagner's possibly, Billy Shrouse. Like, there's a lot of talent in that room. So the one thing I did like about where Harry was when he came in, though, Brian, in my opinion, is we already, we've talked in Nauseam about Jeff Quinn's shortcomings as a as a offensive line developer right we've talked about that but i would say this is that the room was pretty well stocked with talents for harry when he first came in right so jeff quinn did a good job of getting the blake fishers the joe waltz like identifying some right. key talent and and now it's harry's to mold and I, I think you feel really good about the future of the offensive line obviously for that fact 
Well, I think that's the thing too, is, is, is there's credit that belongs to Tommy Reese. There's credit belongs to Jeff Quinn and, and the people that were part of the staff that got those offensive linemen because he did recruit Joe Walt. And look, here's the thing about like Joe Walt is, is I remember when he committed, I loved that pickup and it was not a plan B pickup, right? This wasn't where Jeff Quinn lost a couple top targets and like there were some mistakes I thought Jeff Quinn made in that class, but that Joe Walt was a guy that they identified early and went out and got some of the other guys were no brainers. I mean, you know, Blake Fisher was a no brainer, you know, but he, you know, Tommy Reese went out and got Billy Shrouth, right? I mean, uh, Joe, uh, Jeff Quinn went out and got Ty Chance turned into a, a you know, is a guy that I think is going to compete for starting job this spring, or at least potentially could. So now some of the guys on the, on the roster, Harry, he recruited. I mean, for being honest, I mean, Zeke Carell is the guy that Harry, he recruited. Now he, recommitted i mean not he committed to Notre Dame after he left but he said Notre Dame was my number one until coach Eastan left right andrew christophic's another one so i mean there has been a hair he he stand influence in, on this on this group up to this point in time so but he did inherit a good a pretty darn good roster i mean there's a there's a chance that only one guy starting next year was recruited by harry he and so that's that's where you want to be now the, the one thing that harry he has shown in the past is he inherited a pretty, you know, some pretty talented kids early in his tenure as well. He inherited in 2012, he inherited Zach Martin and Chris Watt and Christian Lombard before the injuries. He inherited Ronnie Stanley to a degree because Ronnie was was being recruited by Notre Dame. And then obviously they came in and were able to close the deal on it. You know, but he inherited Braxton Cave and those guys. But then he showed that I can then go out and get my own guys. He, that that sure. his first full recruiting class was Mike McGlinchey, Steve Elmer, Hunter Bivin, Colin McGovern, John Montel. It's his second full recruiting class. And this is the thing that kind of say if if history repeats itself, his 2013 class was pretty good, had some high upside guys, but really only Elmer was really the only really highly ranked one by everybody. Uh, you know, Montelis was ranked high by one service, Bivin was ranked high by a couple, uh, but it wasn't necessarily, you know huge huge pickups uh you know the way that like a charles jagasaw is right so kind of similar to this year's class although that class was ranked a tad higher individually but then you look at it and say um the next year was the one that was really dynamic that was the quentin nelson alex Barr, sam mustafer jimmy Byrne class so the second was even better than the first one and so you you hope that that history repeats itself and that's what they're shooting for in this class so that's kind of my, my thoughts on that. So, yeah, I just <laughs> I'm just laughing at some of the comments. People are questioning why Notre Dame didn't go after a certain recruit because he was ranked high by the services. You know, oh, I guess I'll have to trust Harry Heastan on this one. Like that should not be a guess, everybody. I mean, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like that shouldn't be a guess. Okay, if 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 Notre Dame didn't recruit an in-state kid, I don't care how he was ranked, how he was ranked. You darn better believe that they did their homework on him and said, "No, nah, he's not really doesn't really fit what we do." I'm sorry. Just, uh, I, 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 I know, I know, I know who you're yeah. talking about now. I yeah. wasn't looking at the chat. I know who you're yeah. talking about. Now. It's all good, all good. Yeah. Anyway, Brian, let's move on to sort of the present, and then we'll kind of get in the future of the offensive line. Sure. The reality is, is that for this team to to reach its potential, we need to see the the tackles become stars, and and for Joe Walt, that means kind of keep doing what you're doing. Right. And and get maybe get a little better in a run game, which is going to happen just by your natural growth. Right. You're, you know, he was a true sophomore last year. True, he'd be a little bit stronger. His technique is sound. And I actually thought Joe Walt got a lot better late in the year in the run game than he did a pass game. I actually thought the South Carolina game was probably his, I mean, I, I use quotations, his worst pass pro game. 
because he never had a bad pass pro game, but that was probably his worst one. But I also thought it was one of his best run blocking games of the season for Joe Walt. And, and so to me, you know, there's another level for him, but the big one's going to be Blake Fisher. Can you get Blake Fisher to go from being a, a pretty good player at times, but an inconsistent player, which you'd expect from a sophomore who missed all but two games of his freshman year. Can you get him to now go from that to now he be, has the breakout. Now he becomes an all American kind of player. I think getting those bookends is going to be really key for Notre Dame to kind of take that step from really good to elite. Cause they were not an elite elite offensive line this year, right? They weren't. No. They were really good. They weren't elite. The step is to get to them to be elite. And I think that it has to start with your your stars have to be stars. And that's going to be the key is getting both of the tackles to come out and be dominant, dominant players. Well, and, and I, I think that there's, again, it's not a misnomer because Joe Walt was an All-American last year, right? He was a really good football player, obviously. He was one of the, arguably the top left tackle in football this past year. But I think one thing that people don't quite understand is that he could still get better, man. He's not near to his ceiling. Like I think that there's this assumption because Blake Fisher's so talented that Joe Walt is close to his ceiling. No, I don't think that's true at all. I don't think it's true at all. I think uh, here's why I think people think that, Ryan, is because yeah. I think he's close to his ceiling from a technical standpoint. That's fair. I don't think Joe Walt's gonna that has a lot of boy, you gotta really work on this technical thing. He showed up as a pretty technically sound offensive lineman and has only gotten more technically sound. He, there's just not a lot of technical aspects in this game to improve upon. I think the point you're making, and and I, and I want to hammer this specifically, is Joe Walt has not reached his physical peak yet. That's when he will become the player he's really capable of, and that's kind of what I was referring to is with the run blocking. I don't have any beef with Joe Walt's run blocking. He surprisingly plays with great pad level for a kid who's almost 6'8". And in the run game, I mean that that's the that has always been kind of my big concern. Him is is he going to be able to get low enough? To yes. be able to play with power in the run game. And for a six day kid, he plays with great pad level and a great base. Yep. He's got but, good hands. As yep. you mentioned, he's now going to have three years of weight room under his belt going into this year. He's going to have now a full year, extra year of Harry Heastan coaching him up under his belt. And that's where you start getting excited about okay, that's where a big jump could be coming for Joe Alt is the physical strength that will come from. Uh, just more time in the weight room, which then makes him an even more dominant player. So I think that's where the jump can and should be for Joe Walt in in year three, well, in my opinion. Well, I think because of this, Brian, how much weight did he get? I mean, how much did he weigh when he was a senior? He was what, the 260-ish, something like that? Yeah, right? 260, like, 270. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, he was, he was a light kid, obviously, and he shows up to Notre Dame at 300 pounds, right? So you're like, oh, that's a lot of weight in a short amount of time. It was obviously good weight, and then he got up to about 316 pounds, I think is what he was listed at this year, 317, somewhere in that ballpark. But what is – I think what people miss with that is, yes, he's adding good weight. He's getting stronger. But when you add weight that quickly, sometimes the strength profile is still a little behind that, right? It's still coming. It's still maturing. So I think that there's a power profile that Joel has not even touched yet, on top of the fact that, hey, he's a former high school Tight end, right? Quarterback, whatever. Like he was a skill position player. And he has He's a tight end. Tight end. He has that natural foot quickness. He's got that natural flexibility. He's a good athlete, right? Like no one has any doubts about that. The power profile, I think, is coming. I think it's already showing itself. But in the in year three under Matt Bayless, I have big expectations that he's going to go from a good run blocker to a dominant one. I think that he can make that type of jump. And if he does, 
And we're talking about top 10 overall draft pick in 2024, you know, if he answers the draft. Like, that's a lock because already he has the t- the athleticism, the length, the foot quickness, all that great stuff. If you add the power profile in, then where's the hole, right? Like, where's the hole in his game? He doesn't really have one at that point. But, I, I mean, I think that we just need to understand Joe Walt, the 2022 version of Joe Walt is not the best Joe Walt we're going to see. That's not. And that not even for next year, for the future of the NFL – all that great stuff. He's got room to grow, and he is going to be a dominant player because of it, in my opinion. And I think that we were talking about Blake Fisher. He is the ultimate litmus test for how good Harry Heastand still is, right? Because if you look at that player with Blake buying into what Coach Heastand is selling him, the year two jump, I think, is going to be just insane. I think he's going to take a massive, massive jump in 2023, potentially. Because he's the player that has the technical improvement that's needed. Yes. There's a lot of technical improvement that that Blake needs that Joe didn't need. And we've talked about why. I mean, Joe's dad was an all-pro NFL offensive lineman, right? I mean, he's he he he's been taught that. Blake Fisher's parents did a great job of teaching him to be a respectful young man and a good kid and all the and a hard worker and all the things that he is. I mean, there's nobody that I see prom, you know, involved in the community more than Blake. I mean, he's constantly doing stuff in the community, right? So because that's who they are. They're not former NFL, you know, people. And so Blake has a lot more room for improvement from a technical standpoint. And that's where you start getting excited about it because when Blake was on last year, he was his do- I'll put it like this. His 10 most dominant player plays were more impressive than Joe Walt's 10 most dominant plays from just a sheer I'm kicking your freaking butt standpoint. Especially in the run game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Because he's so big and so strong, but he needs the technical improvement. But there's still also going to be – Blake's going to still get stronger too because he was just a sophomore last year. I mean, you look at him in the face last year, he still looks like a teenager because he is, right? And so that's where you start getting a little fired up, you know, is, is, boy, this kid's got a chance to really take that next jump and be a dominant, dominant player where you've got the technician on the left side and there's just the bully on the right side and you start feeling really good about your your duo there. Well, I, I mean, if I could just add one last thing, it's like Blake Fisher has about as much upside, in my opinion, as any offensive lineman in college football. Like he has that type of upside. Has he gotten to there yet? Absolutely not. He's been a he was a good to very good player at times in 2022. But I think the exciting part is that even if he's just the same player, he's a really good football player. But if he hits near his ceiling, that he's going to be a dominant player. And I think that there is a legitimate chance. And again, I'm not going to predict this because Joe Walt's an All-American, right? But I do think that there's a legitimate chance, Brian, that during the 2023 season or right at the end of it, we could be having a conversation of, who is a better offensive lineman on this team, Blake Fisher or Joel? I think it's possible. It's possible. Am I going to predict it? No, because Joel, Joel's just at a little bit of a different tier than Blake right now. But Blake has enough talent to cut that gap pretty quick, in my opinion. Let me let me change your statement a little bit, if I can. Yes, of course. I don't think the discussion will be who's better, because I think it's going to be Joe, because of just he's the left tackle. He's, you know, all those different things. I think the question will be who's more dominant. Sure. I think that's more of what I look for because it's it's hard for me to envision any offensive lineman being as steady and consistent as as Joe Wald. I, I didn't see one. You know, and, and look, I didn't watch as much Peter Skaronsky as I did of Joe Walt, but even when I did watch him, Peter Skaronsky was really good. Really, really good. Yeah. 
but even he wasn't quite as consistent. He'd have a couple reps where he maybe got beat off the edge where you'd go through whole games. You're like, I don't know if Joe Walt got beat once that game or had one bad stance because he's so long. I was going to say he's, he's equally as talented as he is technical too, right? right? He's six, seven with long arms. Peter Skorotsky six, four and a half with shorter arms. Like he needs to be technically perfect to be very good. Right. And so just the consistency in which he does his job is really impressive. Where I think Blake is going to take a jump next year, Ryan, is there's going to be stretches where you're like, in that game, Blake was better. In that game, Blake was better. But Blake still has to, you know, he's going to, he still has to show me, you know, there's, there's not a lot of the up and downs. He's got to get rid of the up and downs, which comes from experience. But I think the question about who's the more dominant player is definitely going to take it. It's going to be part of the conversation next year, in my opinion. No doubt about it. And it's a good place to be. Yes. End of the day, though, Ryan, you could have the best bookend tackles in the country, but you got to be good up the middle. And I think the best job that Harry Heastan did coaching this year was not Blake Fisher, was not Joe Walt, was not anybody else. It was Zeke Carell, and it's not even close. Because Zeke Carell is a kid that that is in 2021 was struggled mightily, and that's being nice and eventually got benched and replaced by Andrew Kristoffek. Comes out this spring and performs so well that Notre Dame decided to move their their All-American caliber sent three-year starting center out to guard. And early on, if we're being honest, Zeke Zeke didn't play as poorly early on as he did in 2021, but he didn't play great. By about the third game, you looked at it and said, okay, this is what they saw. And and he was pretty good the rest of the year. And the thing that impressed me, Ryan, too, was there were snaps at times this year where he would actually get knocked off the ball. Now, that's got to change. You've got to not be get knocked back the way that he did at times. But I was really impressed by Zeke's ability even to stay in front of defensive linemen as they were pushing him back. And then he would be able to anchor and recover. And a couple times, Ryan, he got pushed back. He anchored and then drove the guy back. Now, that's impressive. That's strength, that's fight, but that's also being sound fundamentally. Yep. And so he was able to recover so, so those things. So I actually think Zeke, even though he'll be a fifth-year senior next year, has a lot of room for improvement technically, which is kind of what has me excited. That Because, look, you know Zeke Carroll's going to work, right? That's never been a question. So you look and say, boy, if he could get him from here to here in year one to year two, or uh, year zero to year one, there's another jump for him in year two. Will the jump be as great as it was last year? No, because if he if he makes the same level of improvement from 2021 to 22 into 23, he's going to be the best center in college football because he made a big jump, right? And I don't I don't think that – like usually the year two is not the same jump when you're talking about a veteran player because we're not talking about the guy that's a rising junior or something like that. He's going to be a fifth-year senior next year. But if he can become more technically consistent – Zeke's going to have a really good year for Notre Dame. And the encouraging thing is because of COVID, Zeke actually still has two years left to start, which I hope he takes advantage of because then you get him three full years under Harry Heastan, Zeke Carroll's an NFL football player. and He may be one next year, but I'm I'm, I'm encouraged to see the growth he made, Ryan, but he's got to make another jump this year at center and be more consistent. He had, and there was, what was it? Was it, was it, uh, there was a game late. He really struggled. I, I, I don't know if it was Navy or USC. I can't remember which one, but he had, I, he had a I, rough I game feel like late. most of the interior defense, offensive line played not great against Navy. If I remember yeah, correctly, it, right? like it, it could have, it could have been that one, but, uh, yeah. 
you know, but but for the most part, he was pretty good last season after the first couple games. And if he can just make a nice, steady year two starter growth, then you feel like, boy, you're going to be good up the middle because you can have great tackles, Ryan. But if you're not strong up the middle, your offense is not going to be able to beat reach its full potential. Not against the teams Notre Dame plays. If okay. you don't have a good, if you're a, if if Notre Dame's offensive tackles dominate Ohio State's defense offense defensive ends, it won't matter if you're getting your butt kicked up the middle, and they're going to have some dudes up the middle too. So to really be that elite line, Ryan, the interior's got to be great, and it's got to start with Zeke at center, in my opinion. Yeah. Well, I mean, against Ohio State, that's a perfect conversation, right? Because the defensive ends weren't really what messed up Notre Dame in that game. It was was it Marcus Hall? Was he the guy that had the two sacks? It's Mike, the Mike Hall, right? Is Michael Mike Hall. Hall. Yeah. Yeah. He was the guy that had a little bit of interior pressure in that game. He's the one that had the pressure then, mostly. And, and even when they weren't getting the pressure, they were occupying the interior guys so much that they just couldn't get off to Tommy Eichenberg on his on his delayed blitzes. They just couldn't come exactly. off of those blocks yeah. uh, to get to him, and that's what kicked their butt. It wasn't Sawyer and JT and, and the other guys. It was right up the middle is where Ohio yep. State kicked their butt. Yep. And, and, you know, so again, Ryan, you, you talk about it is – that's that's something that has to get better. You have to get better, and it has to start at center. If the center is not really good, it, it makes it harder for your guards to be to their full level because they got to protect the center. That should not be an issue for Notre Dame's guards next season, in my opinion, Agreed. because you expect Zeke Crow to be really good, in my, yes. in my view. Yeah, well, and I think that the one thing that's lost with Zeke is that this is going to be his second full year as a starting center, right? Like he started a couple games a couple years ago at center out of necessity with Jared Patterson getting injured, obviously. Mm-hmm. Then he plays guard the whole year, doesn't play center. I mean, this is his second year as a starting and center. He got hurt. Is, like, he actually played well in his two games as a starter. He played against North Carolina, then got hurt, and then played against Bama. But he got hurt, so he missed that development time. And that had been an issue for Zeke in the past as well, as he just got banged up a lot. And he was he was healthy. I mean, as healthy as an offensive lineman can be going through a full season. But that was a big key for Zeke, too, is he, he was able to answer the bell every week. I do yeah. think developing depth behind him is going to be a very important thing this season because there was a big question mark that if he got hurt, what would happen? And that's still, to me, a big question mark about this team is who's going to step in if Zeke does go down, in my view? who is the Or let's say Zeke has a great year and he goes pro after his fifth year. Who's that next guy? That's going to be a big question mark. Guard is also a, a, a very big question mark, Ryan. The good thing, question mark in regard to we don't know who it's going to be. Sure. But I, I have to admit, I have a – it's just not a position I'm – I probably should be more worried about it than I am, to be honest with you. Because whoever steps into those guard spots are not going to have much experience at all outside of Andrew Kostovic. I mean, there's just – there's not a lot of guys really that I view as being in contention for that for that for for those jobs that's played much ball besides Andrew Kostovic. You know, so Billy Shrouth, elite talent. Played what three? I don't actually know if he even played at all last year. Maybe three snaps against Boston College. Maybe I'm actually going to look that up right now uh, to just to see how much how much he played. But you know that's the thing for me, Ryan. Is I just I need to see those guys play. If Billy Shrouth did not play last year. He didn't play any snaps last year. So uh, I believe that is correct. Let me just look that up. Yeah, no snaps last year. Rocco Spindler played three. Michael Carmody played three. Now he played a lot the year before. Uh, Ty Chan didn't play any snaps last year. So you could go into the season potentially with your two starting guards as guys who didn't play any snaps last year because Notre Dame just struggled to blow people out. But for some reason, Ryan, I'm just confident. Like 
Look, yep. Andrew Christophicus is if Andrew Christophic starting at guard next year, uh, okay, cool. I'm I'm fine. I'm good with that. If he gets beat out, it means the guy that beat him out was pretty good. Yeah. Right. Same thing with the other guard spot. You just it's young. There's not a lot of experience, but you look at the experience that they're going to have on both sides of who, whoever's a guard. They're going to have a lot of experience at tackle and a lot of experience at center, no matter what yes. side you're on. And there's a lot of size and a lot of talent. And that's the other thing too is they're going to be thicker and stronger in my opinion, next year than they were this past year, where Jared Patterson was kind of a pumped up, pumped up 308, right? Like, yes. I don't think he's a natural 310-pound guy. You know, Josh Lug was at like 316, but he was he's a slender 316, right? He's not a real massive guy, right? Because he's, he's tall. From his, really tall. Right, he's tall. Yeah. Uh, and, and because he's tall, he can, you know, his 315 is like, you know, maybe 302 for a guy that's 6'3 or something like that, right? But you're talking about with Billy Shrouth, who's going to be every bit of 310 plus. You're talking about Ty Chan, who's probably going to be close to 315, 320 next year. It's a big kid. And, right. You know, Andrew Christophic's over 300 pounds. He's a, he's a lot like Patterson. He's not a natural 310 plus pound guy. So he won't be there. But man, a lot of the kids are going to be battling for that job. Charles Jagasol is going to, you know, not in the spring, but by the fall is a guy to keep an eye on. He's going to be 320 some pounds when he shows up. So there's a chance for this line to get even bigger next year. It'll be younger, but it's a chance to get even bigger. And I think how that group develops is going to ultimately determine just how good next level this line can be. Whether it's a top five line or the best line is going to largely be determined to me by the guards moving forward. And we talked about cornerback yesterday, that it's a happy marriage, right, between great developer and great talents, right? You need both in order for it to be an elite level group. And I think that that's what gives you so much optimism about the guard spots to your point, Brian, is that there is some uncertainty on who those guys are. What is that starting combination going to be? But you feel good about it because I mean, Andrew Christophic's a really talented dude. I don't think we've seen nearly the best of what Andrew Christophic could be. In my opinion, Billy Shrouth was a, which you have as a top hundred kid coming out, oh, right? Yeah. Like he's, he was a fantastic football player coming he was out. He's borderline top 50 from, for my grades. Now he didn't quite yeah. get to that four and a half star level, but he was, he was my number two offensive player in the class last year behind Tobias Merriweather to be completely yeah. honest with you. And my number three overall. So yeah, he was big time. He was yeah. big time. He's a really talented kid. Ty Chan being a pure interior player, I think is really fits into his profile, man. Cause we saw him, in the fall for that one practice. And I mean, he looks the part, man. I mean, just quite simply like Ty Chan walks around and you're like, that kid's been in the weight room for a few years at Notre Dame. You're like, that's a freshman. Like he's going to be a massive kid. You mentioned Charles Jagasaw getting there in June. He's another massive kid. There's a lot of talent in that room. There's no doubt. And yes, it's inexperienced talent, but if there are spots where I need to figure out, figure it out on the offensive line, it's at guard, right? I mean, there's pillars to the offensive line. You talked about bookends. That's a big pillar. That's two big pillars. The center is another big one. If I had to potentially replace any position on the offensive line, I would pick a guard. Guard, you could you could find that you could find that stability because to your point, no matter if it's at right guard or left guard, you're gonna have a pretty dang good tackle next to you, and then you're gonna have a starting center that's entering now a second year. So with those those things around him, I think when you look at the talent in the room, you look at what Harry Heastan has traditionally done, and you look at just kind of all those things together, I think you feel pretty good about the guard situation because if there, right. it's it, 
you don't have to jump into the portal and just bring in a guy to fill a role, right? You feel good about the spot in there. Ryan, and, and look, they may be wrong about this, but you and I know of some names that obviously we can't share for obvious reasons, but guys that you and I were like, well, I'd like to see Notre Dame go after this guy. And so I reach out to sources and they're like, yeah, we looked at his film and we passed. You passed? Yeah, we passed. And you start getting like, okay, yeah, these guys are really feeling good about their young guards and about Christophic. I mean, they because like the, the thing I was basically told is a guard would have to really, like we'll, we'll look at guards but they'd have to really blow us away for us to go to go get them because we like the guys we have. Now, I, that surprised me because I would have assumed that Harry Heastan would have been like, let me go get a veteran. You know, and, and Logan Thayer had a comment in the chat, Ryan. He said basically like if a younger player beats out Christophic, and I'm not predicting that's going to happen. We're just having a conversation here. If it were to happen, he his point was that means that Harry thinks that guy's better right now because Harry Heastan and Tom Reese is this way as well, sometimes to a fault, if we're being honest where they're going to sacrifice future development for what's best for them to win right now. And, and to a degree, that's how they should be. Now, I still believe that there's a way you can develop younger players and, and this type of this type of thing. But, like, if they feel a younger player is is could be better maybe in November than Christophic, then that kid's not going to start. The only way that that kid's going to start is that they, this kid gets the best chance to win right now. Sure. Now, it's a show-me business, right? So these kids have to go show it. But – they're going to get a ton of reps in the spring, and uh, and there's going to be a fierce competition in the spring. And I'm looking forward to seeing it because if if the guard play can just be good, it doesn't be great, just be good. These team has chance. This this team has chance to be really good. I want to talk about some of the young guys just really real quick, Ryan. Yep. So with Andrew Kristofic, the thing about him is you made a point, and I want to get to Kristofic first, but th- before we get to the young guys. You made a point about Christophic that I think needs that, that I, I want you to nuance because I think we're on the same page here. I think Andrew Christophic is a is actually has talent and and as you can be better than he is. He's not a naturally powerful player. He's also not a natural butt kicker, in my no. opinion. And I felt like he needed someone that could kind of kick him in the pants a little bit. And so I'm very curious to see how he is in year two of Harry Heastan because. We're just a lot of not we, but there's a lot of people assuming that he's going to get beat out by a younger player this year, and it could happen. But I'm very curious to see what kind of jump he makes in year two of Harry Heastan because I've always felt like there was something holding Andrew back. Because there's times when he'd look pretty good, but then he just didn't have that just mm, punch in the face like you expect from a Pittsburgh kid to have, right? I really feel like when you look at him going into year two of Heastan. He's a kid that I'm very curious to see what kind of jump he can make because, yes, it's great to get the younger players going and they're very talented, but I don't think Chris Topic is just a veteran guy that's holding a place. I think that kid's got some more ability. It's just about whether or not the combination of Chris Watt and Harry Heastan can get that out of him. And if they do, I don't see how a younger guy beats him out, to be completely honest with you. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Mother's Day is around the corner. 
Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Well, I, th- I think the whole thing with Christophic is a temperament thing, right? Like, I think he's just kind of a – I don't want uh, to phrase this the best way I can. I think that he is a player that has lived – it's very mild-mannered kid. Mild manner. Yeah. I think he l- wins off of natural ability a lot, right? Because he is a good athlete. There is a reason that Andrew Gustafik was recruited as an offensive tackle originally, right? Like he moves well. He's got a nice, you know, a nice, a clean frame on him. I think he's one of those guys, Brian. We've talked about guys like this in the past. I think when Andrew Gustafik stopped playing football, he is going to lose weight just like, and it's gone, right? Like he's one of those guys. So he needs to fight to keep weight on. But I do think the thing that's hold Andrew back and we've talked about this before is that if he played with a little more assertiveness as a football player right a little more aggressiveness I think he could be a good football player I really do because I think that he has good foot quickness I think he's a good athlete overall good flexibility if he played a little more with a little more oomph to his game I think he could be a starting caliber player at Notre Dame and I think honestly (laughs) Some NFL teams would be like, oh, that's an interesting profile. Yeah. You know, like he's a long, he's a pretty long kid, good athlete, like all those types of things. I just don't think that he has a fire right now, or he hasn't had a fire. Could that change? I think it can because Harry He stands, it's not just about the process for Harry He stands as far as like, hey, do this, right? Do that. It's the it's the personality of Harry He stand that rubs off on his players as well. So he's got a lot of talent. It's just about let's get the most out of this, man. Let's play with right. a little more. Let's play with a little more just juice to your game. Like play to finish blocks. Let's do. Let's take it up a notch because there is not a lack of talent with Andrew Kristoff. He has enough talent to be a good starting player for Notre Dame on this level. He's talented. It's just about the assertiveness. I think is the big thing for him. Right. So Ryan, let's move on to a couple of the younger guys. It's a big, it's a big off season. We talked a lot yesterday about like Chance Tucker and and um, Ryan Barnes, and there's another kid in their class who's in a very similar situation um, when it comes to offensive line. That's Rocco Spindler, very highly ranked kid coming out. I thought was a pretty decent athlete coming out of high school, and as you watch him now, he's three fifteen, three twenty, and he just has very slow feet, and I don't know where that came from. And honestly, that's the thing that's hurt him is he's a big, strong, physical kid. I've never heard anyone tell me he doesn't try hard. His feet are just really slow and he doesn't move them really well. I don't know if he's too big. I don't know what the deal is. But if he doesn't kind of reach it, and he does have some, he's one of the few linemen that I felt had some bad weight in the midsection, right? Uh, A lot of these guys are just big. I felt like Rocco put on some bad weight. He was very top-heavy. Uh, a little bit, but more so that core's got some some weight to it that you don't like, per se, that I think slowed his feet down a little bit. It, he's got to get his – he's got to reshape his body a little bit this offseason. And if he does, then he'll have a chance to, you know, be a guy that can really make a move this year. But he if he doesn't, if Rocco doesn't step up this offseason and have a good offseason, he's going to get passed up. 
There's no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a very, it's a vicarious position for a Rocco Spindler. Cause to your point, Brian, I mean, there's some talent there. It's just for the reasons you talked about, it hasn't materialized to this point, but I mean, if you go into this battle here against guys like, I mean, Kristoffic's an older player, obviously, right? He's older than Rocco. But Billy Shrouth is a year younger than Rocco Spindler. Ty Chan is a, 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 is a year younger than Rocco Spindler. So you're facing off against a few guys that are younger players than you. And that's the same conversation that we had about Ryan Barnes and Chance Tucker yesterday, which I know you let off with. If it doesn't happen now, it might never happen. That's the, that's the, that's the course that you might be setting for yourself. And I, I do think that Rocco has some traits that you look at and say, that's interesting. I would like that to be a part of the, the process here, right? But then if he doesn't find that niche in this year's in this year's group, I mean, only more talented kids are coming, Brian. Like we talked about Charles Jagasaw as a kid that maybe could play guard his first year or two while the other offensive tackles are playing, right? We talk about guys like Sullivan Absher coming in who could probably play inside a guard. You talk about Sam Pendleton. Like, there's there's some good off uh, interior offensive linemen coming. Peter Jones in 2024. If Rocco doesn't make his move now, it might not happen for him. So it, it is a won't. massive I'll go further. Offense. It probably won't happen. Right. Now, yeah, probably won't happen, in my opinion. Yeah. Now, he's a guy that I would if – he, if he gets in better shape – and gets down to around 300 and is still isn't able to beat him out. I don't honestly consider having a conversation about moving him to nose guard and letting him be just a gap eater there. He was a pretty good defensive lineman coming in high school. Some schools like them better on the defensive line. Now he can't do that if his feet are still slow. It's just, but if he's, if he gets in better shape and he has a good off season, but he just gets beat out by even better players. Cause I, I graded Billy Shrouth out bet higher than Rocco Spiller, significantly so. You know, Rocco was a 100 to 150 guy for me. Billy was a borderline top 75 guy for me, borderline top 50 guy for me. So uh, you, you you have that. But the point is, none of that matters if Rocco doesn't get some of that bad weight off and, and improve his foot quickness because he'll battle you. That, that's not a question with Rocco. He'll battle you. It's just, can he move? And he has, he has. He has the right demeanor. Sorry to cut you off, but I feel like if you almost took his demeanor with Andrew Gustavic's talent, you're like, yeah. that's a good football player, man. Yeah. That's a Real really good. good player. Real good. There's no doubt. There's no doubt about it. Let's talk a little bit about Billy Strauss, Ryan, because this is a guy that a lot of people are excited about, and I'm not talking about fans. And I'm not talking about you. And I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about people inside the program defensive players and and I know what Howard Cross said before the bowl game and, and I don't put a lot of stock in that stuff to be completely honest with you because kids say things like that all the time and and we've heard about this kids you know hard to do this and you know the, the the DBs used to always talk about how hard Xavier Watts was to guard never got him on the field right so we don't know how that's going to go but the reality is this is a really talented kid Brian you know as I said top 75-ish kind of guy for me coming out Five-star upside. He's athletic. He was a pretty darn good defensive lineman as well. Uh, played Actually, was one of the few guys that actually played guard a lot in high school because of the way that their team played. Super athletic, plays with great pad level, and strong as an ox. He is the kind of kid, Ryan, that is the the – he is the modern guard, right, which he's big. I've been told he's up to around 310. 
Wow. Maybe more. He's just, but he's just big. You know, talk to somebody the other day that that knows him pretty well, and they say this: the weight that this kid has put on in the last year of muscle is impressive. Because he was like two eighty something, right, when he first came well, in. He, that's what he was. He was he was around three hundred. He was listed at okay. two eighty in high school, but he's around three hundred when he showed up. But he, remember, he was injured last spring, so he missed all spring. But yeah, I'm told he's up well over three hundred pounds now. We'll see what the official measurements are, but I've been told it's great weight, and and this is by people that know football. And so when I when I look at him, you talk about a kid that's got all the tools of a modern guard, meaning he can play with power and he's got the length and athleticism to pass pro. I've always felt that Billy Shrouth is a guy that could easily play right tackle. And, and I still believe that. Like if there was a need at right tackle, if you were set at guard, let's just say Blake Fisher came in at Notre Dame and he was a guard and he just, you knew he was a guard and there's no doubt he was a guard. And, you know, you didn't think Tosh Baker could be that next guy tackle, which I think he could. But just for argument's sake, I said move move Billy Shrouth out there. Let him compete at right tackle because he's got really good length for a guy. He just he's a guard to me, Ryan, not because of athleticism or you know, because if you if you have to play guard because you can't move, then you're not going to be a great player. Like if you have to move from tackle to guard because you can't move, that's not a good thing. He's got the athleticism and length to me to be a tackle. The reason I view him as a guard is because his demeanor says screams guard, screams. Big boy football screams. I want to punch you in the face. I want to bury you. I want to crush you. I want to humiliate you in front of your mother and your girlfriend and your grandmother. Like that's how Billy Shrouth plays the game. And I think that's the thing I love about him. And 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 kudos for Tommy Reese being able to land him when Notre Dame didn't have an all-line coach. Because wow. here's the deal. He did not want to play for Jeff Quinn. They were not going to get him if Jeff Quinn was still the O-line coach. And Tommy Reese stayed on him, stayed on him. He almost committed to Notre Dame twice, but he just did not want to play for Jeff Quinn. And as soon as Jeff Quinn was let go, it was easy. It was it was done. It was a done deal. And you're able to get him in. But but Tommy Reese is the one that really got that one done. This kid has a ton of talent, Brian. And he's going to be very hard to keep off the field if he can kind of take that jump technically. That's the thing that's going to hold him back. Absorbing the offense and then the technical improvement needed to really get to that level. If he can do that, then he's going to have a chance to, to start for Notre Dame this year. There's no doubt about it. And he'll have his you know first-year starter lumps, but he's going to have a chance to be a really good player at Notre Dame. I, I remember how excited I was when they got Billy Shrouth because obviously I wasn't covering anything. I just remember that that class, there was like a crazy amount of Wisconsin offensive linemen that year, right? And it was just like Billy Shrouth was kind of the guy, though, that everyone was talking about the most. And I, I agree with everything that you said, Brian, as far as the tenacity he plays with. He's a good athlete. Like there's – he just got a really good baseline for being a really good football player, you know? And I think that he brings that miss Midwestern demeanor, right? Like he's a tough physical kid. That's why most of these schools like the Notre Dames, the Michigans, even the Ohio States to a degree, they don't stray outside of the Midwest much for offensive linemen because why would you? That's where they born. That's where they're bred. That's where they're developed, you know? And I think that he is a perfect example for that. So and I think that with how Harry Heastan wants to play offensive line <laughs> at the Notre Dame level, that's the guy you need, right? No Blake question. Fisher's Blake Fisher's nasty, right? He's a nasty kid. Zeke Carell's got a little bit of nastiness to him. Billy Schroff has a lot of it. Joe Walt has some of it. You're still trying to get even more out of him as he gets physically more de- developed. Which, but I think I'm, I'm, Schroff, I'm honestly yeah. okay not having that from a from a left tackle. Sure. 
And, and I always thought that was a little bit of Mike McGlinchey's problem. He was he would overextend himself because he just he want he was a he was a right tackle mentality. Joe Walt has a left tackle. I want left tackle and then crusher killers, right? Yeah. Like I want my left tackle to be a little bit calm and methodical. We, we call position positional blocking, right? Like you want to get him in the right spot and be a little bit more of a an athletic approach, which nothing wrong with that, man. Nothing wrong with that at all. Let's talk about Ty Chan a little bit. This is an interesting kid, Ryan, because when Notre Dame first got him, he had one of the craziest sort of body transformations I've seen from an offensive lineman, Uh, a guy who was an offensive lineman. Obviously, Joe Walt had his, but Ty Chan as as a sophomore was like 250, 260 pounds. He was really skinny. He was very long and broad, though, and then didn't play as a junior because of COVID. Yeah, and then all of a sudden comes out as a senior, and he's like three hundred plus pounds, and he doesn't look like the same kid. I'm like, did I watch the right film? Like, I literally had to go back and look at his film to make sure I was watching the right kid because, like, this kid doesn't look anything like the kid I saw because his junior year was the COVID year, so he missed that year. So then he comes out as a senior, and he's this big physical kid. Now, when they signed him, you thought tackle because he was long and a little skinny, but then you saw him as a, as a senior, and you're like, maybe he could be a right tackle, but this is a kid that's a a guard this is a mauler you know and you talk about kids playing with the proper disposition and the proper demeanor that's Tai Chan I mean he is a big thick broad-shouldered and if you go back and like watch a senior film like the first clip of his of his film he literally drives a guy he blindsides a guy right you remember that show in the blind the blind side yep. and and where they took that kid and he drove him into the end zone and like kind of flipped him over the rails it, Ty it was Chan's time for first him to go home. School, yes. Yeah. Ty Chan's first clip in his high school film was like that. If you go back and watch it, uh, where he literally takes a kid, drives him. They're at like the, I don't know, five yard line, something like that. And he takes a kid and he drives him into the back of the end zone and then pancakes him. Like drives him, not, not, not in the back of the end zone, out the back of the end zone and throws him past the, uh, the, the, uh, I'm drawing a blank here, right? <laughs> the goalpost. The goalpost. <laughs> and, and just, I mean, you're like, whoa. You're like, this kid's, kind of mean and i say that as a good thing so you know ty chan's not a guy that gets talked about a ton and for me my concern with ty chan as a senior was this i thought the big weight jump slowed his feet down and that was kind of my big concern he's got the size he's got the weight he's got the power but his feet weren't always great and so for me that's going to be a big thing for me is he is actually a pretty athletic kid when he's moving right. That's going to be the thing for me is if he gets his feet right and his footwork right, then I think this kid could be a really good player. That's going to, but we didn't see him last year. We so we haven't really seen Ty since the senior year because uh, I, I keep forgetting. Yeah, he he was he in. I can't remember if he's an early. I always forget. He wasn't. This. You you looked it up last time. He was not. He was he's a not. June enrollee. So, yeah. Okay. So, but he's a kid that you look at and say, boy, this kid's got a chance to be a really good player if he can get his feet right. And that's going to be the key. If he can get his feet right and absorb the offense, which is true for every young kid, Ryan, he's got, he's got all the makings of a, of a guy you want. Cause he's not super long. He's, he's broad, but he's not super, super long, but you watch him on even defense, Ryan. He's, you're like, this kid's a, this kid's a big physical short area guy that you get him away from tackle and get him more in a tight spot this guy's game is going to take off. And that's 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 kind of what I am curious to see if he's able to make that jump here this spring. I, I remember when he committed to Notre Dame, or maybe it was a little bit after that, 
the only I, I didn't even watch any film on him, Brian. I saw a picture of him where he was like swimming in his in his um in his jersey, you know, like he wasn't filling it out at all. I was like, oh, that's an offensive tackle. That I remember hearing may have been you at the time before I was on the before I was on the uh, part of Irish Breakdown where you said that like he just gained this massive amount of weight. And I was like, I, I was just like picturing that picture in my head. I'm like, really? Like he looked like a like a true tackle to me, you know? Mm-hmm. And then you see him in person, like we did last fall, like I did and Sean Davis did last fall. And the kid's massive, man. Like yeah. he looks like one of their bigger offensive linemen. I mean, you said he's I mean, he could be 320 plus this year. He's like, in that first guy, group of guys off the bus thing. Yes. You know, that that's 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 what he is. You know, yes. he's that He's that you get him all, first guy off the bus is is him and with a group of guys and yeah, yeah there, there's it. no doubt there's no doubt. So uh, Ryan, to me those two guys are two guys I'm very curious about to see how they perform this year and battle this year. You know, there's guys like Michael Carmody. Can he get his weight back up? Could he maybe potentially battle there? Uh, I've heard the staff is very high on Ashton Craig as a young player, although. I think center is kind of where they still view him as of right now. But look, if he's one of your best five, then you, you figure out a way to get him out there. He's another guy that I look at as potentially in that conversation. Then, of course, Charles Jagasol is going to have a chance. And a guy that I'm very curious to see perform this spring, and I normally don't look at freshmen unless they're just freaks, which is what – I mean, if we're being honest, that's what Charles Jagasol is. He's, he's a freak. Yes, but uh, I'm very curious to see what Sam Pendleton does this spring how quickly he can pick up the offense because he's already going to be big enough to play as a freshman. And he's going to be, I'd be shocked if he's not the strongest freshman they have when it comes to weight room strength. Um, He's a guy that I'm curious to see, can he push his way into the depth chart? And at the very least, even if he's not, because I don't expect Sam Pendleton to play as a freshman, but he's one of those freshmen that to me kind of has that demeanor where you're like, Hey bro, you better bring it today because I am. Right. You know, and, and that's where that depth comes from. You're like, hey, look, you know, Billy and, and Ty, you got you guys are looking at what's in front of you, but you need to also make sure you're looking at what's behind you because this cat's coming as well. And I think Sam's the only early enrollee of the five offensive linemen right. from last year. Yep. And so he's a guy that I think is going to push people as well. Again, I don't I'm not pushing him so much from a standpoint of is he going to start? I'm not saying that. I don't I'd be shocked if Sam Pendleton starts this year but more of a does he come in and quickly adjust enough to where he can at least make you sweat a little bit to where you better bring your stuff today or this kid's going to beat you out. And yeah. and so, but again, it speaks to the, the the confidence I have. They're recruiting interior of the offensive line incredibly well. As we look into the future, Ryan, that's one of my remaining concerns about the future of the offensive line is – the tackle future is still a little bit of a question mark for me. Sure. You you had one tackle, really, pure tackle in this last year's class, and that's Charles Jagasol. And even he may end up be starting a guard this next year if he's able to come in and play. Then you look at it and you say Emil Wagner has the tools to be an elite guard in every area except – or elite tackle in every area except for one. And that one area is can he hold up size-wise. I mean, you even saw pictures of him in the bowl game. And you're like, that kid does not look like ever, anyone else on that group. He looks like yeah. a tight end snuck into the photo with the offensive line. And that's that's in January. It's in late December in the bowl game. Yeah. So yeah, length, check. Athleticism, check. Toughness, check. Football IQ, check. All those things, from what I'm told, check the boxes. It's just you can't be 275 and play an offensive tackle in college football today. You just can't. Not another day. So, 
Yes. I'm very curious to see what he looks like this spring. Uh, you know, that's that's a question mark for me because if if Emil can put on the weight and and still be athletic, he's got a chance to be special down the road. Yeah. He's your replacement potentially for Joe Walt when he leaves for the NFL. After that, you've got potentially Jagasaw, but that's where the 24 class has to strike it big, Ryan. They yeah. have to get some tackles in this class because right now the future at offensive tackle is you're hoping you can keep Tosh Baker for a sixth year or a fifth year, right? Sure. Sixth year, uh, maybe, right? And and Emil, you hope Emil Wagner can put some weight on. After that, there's not a lot of options of guys you just know can be tackles. I think yeah. that's the one area where this this roster is thin, and that's what Harry Heastan inherited, and that's an area he's going to have to fix when he gets out on the recruiting trail in 2024 cycle. Well, we, we talked about that a lot for 2023 is that we, we know that there's going to be, <clears throat> excuse me, there's going to be some potential with Sullivan Absher getting a shot at offensive tackle, right? Like we know that's going to happen. But, I mean, especially after seeing him in person, you know that we've talked, and I think we we're pretty much on the same page, right? Like maybe he could play right tackle, but he's probably a really good guard, right? Like that's probably Plus the conversation. Right tackle because we've never yeah. seen him pass block. And the only time we did exactly. see him pass block, he struggled because he's never pass blocked before. 100%. Right, so it's a question mark. Yeah, that that was the only miss I thought in the offensive line class, in my opinion, was that you didn't get another true offensive tackle type. Right, like you didn't get that Monroe Freeling type. You didn't get you know somebody in that vein that could 100 stick on the outside. That's the question. So when you look at that, I, I mean, yeah, it's it's a real concern. I mean, because you have Tosh, who I mean, Tosh has great tools, right? But is he going to be patient enough to stay for a six year? That's a great question. Can Emil hold that weight? Charles, if he's a, a butt kicker at guard, do you want to move him, right? I mean, like, there's a lot of things I think that are to be determined of that group. There's a lot of talents. There's no doubt about it. But I still think the fit conversation is something that needs to be worked out a little bit more because you don't 100% know. Because, I mean, the, even some of the guys that you have trotted out at offensive tackle, and I think like Michael Carmody, Michael Carmody is just a better interior player, in my opinion. Like, I just don't think he's a tackle at this level. So, where are the answers? I don't think we know. For 2023, your answers are easy at offensive tackle. But for beyond that, to continue the pipeline that you're building, continue the development that you're building, you need to figure out that next step, obviously, of the roster construction as well. So I wasn't talking yet. I knew I was ready. I was. I knew I hadn't gone on yet. I had to take a deep breath. I had just drank some tea and I burnt my tongue a little bit. So this is my new thing. It's trying to help me not drink Mountain Dew. Is you know, I a hot tea with honey. Ryan, I think that's the, that the the future at tackle and the future at center are the two question marks about the future. There's a lot of talent on this line. It's just about you got to figure out where everybody's going to play. I think that's the thing, and it's a it's a deep offensive line. There's a lot of talent there, and they're looking to add even more. They offered another offensive tackle today. Sean Davis just put it on the message board. A kid from Iowa, Grant Bricks, yeah. uh, who's a who's a guy that um, the Notre Dame staff got out and saw uh, several times this offseason. Harry Heastan went out there, and Tommy Reese went out there. So he is a he. You know, it's it's interesting, Ryan. Have you have you watched him yet? Grant Bricks, yeah, he's long yeah. as anything, but he's super skinny right now. Super right. skinny. So what are your thoughts about him as a player? I just because I want to I want to ask this one real fast. Yeah. Um, I thought he I thought he has got a really nice baseline of athleticism and he's got length. I mean, obviously he, he plays with a pretty good demeanor too. Like I think he's got a little nastiness to him, but I mean he's a kid that is another one of those developmental kids, man. Like he might be up right. 260 pounds right now. Like he is right. very skinny player, but he's talented for sure. Right. But but you view him as a tackle? Yes. Right? Yes. Okay. 
this is this is why it, it, this is just so ridiculous. On three has him listed as an interior offensive lineman. Now, the, what's funny is they have him ranked higher than anyone else. They have him as the number 122 player in the country. Interesting. Uh, 247 Sports and Rivals have have him as a three star, but they but he, they have him they have him as an interior offensive lineman. So I just I'm sorry I just I can't there's, help but these guys are just really yeah. Just there's not there's, not, there's nothing really about his game that tells me he has to play guard. So yeah. just my opinion though. Yep, yep. Uh, so I just it's just I can't help myself. But anyway, uh, Notre Dame is is obviously done well with those type of Midwestern kids. You had Joe Walt from Minnesota, and and you've got some success in Illinois and. You know, so we'll see how it pans out, but they've got to, they've tackles the the one that like center to me is easier to find because you can recruit a bunch of, I mean, just, I mean, the last time Notre Dame played a true center, I'm trying, I don't even, I can't even remember the last time they played a true center, meaning a guy they recruited to play center. Sam Musfer was a tackle in high school. Nick Martin was a tackle in high school. Braxton what? Cave was a, a tackle in high school. How about, um, um, how about, oh man, I'm just, I'm blanking right now. Uh, Merrill Hodge's nephew or whatever. Yeah, but he never started he... at Notre Dame. Yeah, true. That's true. the thing. He never played at Notre Dame. I think you gotcha. might have to go to back to Jeff Fain. I think Jeff Fain was a true center in high school. I think you might have to go that back that far, uh, potentially, to find the last time they had a true center. Like, Bob, oh, maybe Bob Morton. I think Bob Morton might have been a true center. Uh, he he started for Charlie a couple of years. Actually, started at guard at Notre Dame, but he was a true center coming out. But that position I'm not worried about. It's finding the tackles. That's where the answers have to be moving forward. So, you know, you think about the future of the position. I think it's in a great place. I think the present's great. But the, the point, too, is is if the offensive line is as good as we think it's going to be this year, then recruiting becomes much easier, much easier. And I think that's that's the another reason why it's so important that they do well this year. Because this if this team is going to reach its potential, the offensive line has to be really good. It doesn't necessarily have to be elite. It has to at least be a top five to eight group for this team to be a playoff caliber team. But if they can be elite, then I think it makes it so much easier because it takes so much of the pressure off of just everyone else around around them, you know. Okay. And and just it's going to be a big thing. And I'm I'm very curious to see what Sam Hartman looks like behind an offensive line this good. Yes, that's what yes. I'm very curious to hear. He's getting his butt kicked a little run bit game like this. Oh gosh, yes. yes, he absolutely was. I mean, it was it was not. Yeah, the offensive line he played behind the 2021 offensive line was decent. It was pretty decent. Yeah, with Tom, with Tom at left tackle, he's a good player. Zach. Tom. Yeah, yeah, it was decent. But even then, it was just it wasn't like what he's going to play behind this year, in my opinion. It, it it wasn't. So we'll we'll see how it develops, Ryan. But that's kind of where I see the offensive line in the future. It is a strength of the team, and I think it's going to become an even greater strength moving forward. And that's where Notre Dame needs to be. I can't think of a great offensive, a great Notre Dame team that didn't have a great offensive line. It, I mean, it's a last, requisite. It's a requisite. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's what hurt them in 2012. They had a really good offensive line, but not a great offensive line. They were great on the left side, but center on over, not quite as good. Braxton Cave was pretty good, but he was also still coming back from that major injury he had the year before. He wasn't quite the same player. Mike Golick Jr., smart guy, try-hard guy, just not a great player. Uh, you look at the uh, uh, Christian Lombard at right tackle. He was still young. You know, he was still developing. You look at the twenty, the twenty twenty team that made the playoff. Good offensive line, but by the time they got to the playoff, I mean they were so banged up, they just weren't the same offensive line they were earlier in the year. 
Yep. Um, yeah. So, so 2018 team offensive line was, I mean, they didn't play bad against Clemson, but they didn't, they were sworn a great offensive line and Clemson had a great defensive line. And, you know, they were able to put pressure on him because I've, I've talked a lot about that play where Ian book second drive of the game, he needs to climb the pocket, bang that post to miles Boykin. It's probably seven, nothing Notre Dame. And, but, you know, part of the reason that he needed to climb was because there was a really quick outside pressure that now the offensive tackles got on those guys, but it still got to him too quick where he couldn't just hit his drop and throw the post route. Right. Right. And so, you know, those are the things that you say they, they haven't, the, the great teams, the truly great teams they've had, have had great offensive lines. Clemson was able to win without a great, an elite offensive line. I don't think Notre Dame can. You know, Alabama in 2020 didn't have an elite offensive line. They don't necessarily need it. I think Notre Dame needs it to be a championship team. I could be wrong, but okay. I think they need it. Just the nature of how they play and who they are, it needs to be there. And for the first time since 2017, I feel like Notre Dame has the pieces in place to have that kind of offensive line, in my okay. opinion, coaching-wise okay. and talent-wise. Yep, no doubt, no doubt. I mean, that I think that you said it perfectly, Brian. I think it's a requisite for most programs that you need a great offensive line in order to compete at that high level, but especially at Notre Dame. I mean – that's where your brand is built, and you, you need a good day, one. I don't yes. think you need an elite one. That's the difference, right? Like, I don't think LSU needed an elite offensive line in 2019, and I don't think they were an elite offensive. They were good, sure, yeah, right. I think Clemson in 2016, 2018 had a good offensive line, but they were by no stretch elite. I think the last time we saw a team win a national championship with an elite offensive line was probably what Georgia last year, and that's even somewhat debatable. I don't think Georgia the last two years has been elite. They've been pretty good. They've, you know, but I'm, I'm trying to think, Ryan, like 2016 Bama, would, would that be the last time a team that had a really elite offensive line won a championship? No, I mean, excuse me, 2015 Bama, because that was the year they won the Joe Moore Award over Notre Dame. That was a, re- I, I think Notre Dame was better, but that was an elite offensive line where a team had a truly elite offensive line to win a championship. Would you pound on the table for somebody? Would you say seventeen Bama had maybe seventeen uh, Bama? I, I need you to know? rethink. Uh, I don't even. I don't even remember yeah. exactly who was the full. Five I think Jonah Williams team. was on that team. Was on the seventeen really good player. But eighteen Clemson was not an elite offensive line. Two thousand nineteen no. LSU was not an elite offensive line. Twenty twenty Bama was not an elite offensive line. Uh, in Georgia the last two years maybe could be in that conversation. Last year maybe more so than this year. So th- that's just kind of where I'm at. Ryan is Notre Dame needs it. Because they're not going to have a receiving core of Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase in that kind of thing. They're not going to have Devontae Smith and those guys at receiver. Jalen Waddle. Right. Yeah, they're right. not. They need that. And then that elevates everything else around it. So that's kind of where I was coming from on that. Just so, just I, so I get that. Clear. And especially because the the pertinence of where you're, you are regionally too, right? I mean, Notre Dame is a Midwestern power. So, like, mid, what does the Midwest produce? A lot of good offensive linemen. So, yeah. We're on the same page. It's definitely a requisite at Notre Dame. There's no doubt. So that's going to do it for this portion of our show. We're going to be back tomorrow, Ryan, and we're going to talk about a defensive position. And what did we say yesterday? We were going to talk about the defensive line. Is that what you and I talked about? We're going to talk about defensive line tomorrow. So that should be an interesting conversation. And then on Friday, we'll have a mailbag tonight at 6 o'clock. I'm going to be joining Vince D'Addario for Ivy Nation Sports Talk. We're going to have our midweek mailbag there. So Vince will have me Mm -hmm. on as his uh, co-host on the show tonight. So make sure you check that out, 6 o'clock p.m. Eastern on the IB Nation Sports Talk Show. Before we go, folks, on to the mailbag, because we do have a mailbag coming up. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. Give us a five-star review if you're listening via podcast. Make sure you check out the CFB Nation channel as well. 
And of course, as always, sign up for the message board and the premium message board at boards.rspreakdown.com. And just all the different ways you can support us, the better. We greatly, greatly appreciate it. Thank mm-hmm. you.